Mark chapter 10, we're going to begin reading in verse 17. If you're able to stand, we'd invite you to stand with us for the reading of the Word of God, and then we'll pray. This is um, an incident in, in um, the ministry of Jesus recorded in three different places, Matthew, Mark, and Luke record it. And it's one of the most amazing passages because it begins with the words and deals with a man who came to Jesus with a specific request, and that is, how can I, how can I know I'm going to go to heaven? That's, by the way, that's a good, a good thing to ponder, isn't it? A good question to ask today. So let's begin reading in verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, when Jesus had gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Now we're going to go through this and kind of break it down bit by bit. But Jesus is doing this man a great favor because the man is asking this question, what good, what could I do, good master, what could I do that I could know that I'm going to go to heaven? And Jesus is going to help him see that there's nothing you can do that's good. Only God is good. And of course, Jesus is also, a, he's basically saying, you say that I'm good, only God is good. And so about that, um, we know that this man, whether he realized it or not, he was speaking truth, good master. So Jesus then points him in a direction that is a, a lesson that for all of us to consider, and that is the law, the Ten Commandments. Look in verse 19. He, Jesus says to this man, Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto Jesus, said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. And he, this man, this inquirer, he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Notice verse 26. And they were astonished out of measure. Now they had already been astonished, but now they're astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things 
are possible. Great passage. Let's pray as we get into it. Father, thank you for your word. Give us wisdom. Lord, give us understanding. Help us all, Lord, to learn from this passage that you have recorded for us and preserved for us for our benefit. May the word of God speak to our lives. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we want to begin uh, today by looking at this man who had this very simple, very direct request. First of all, let's just look at the way the man is described and what we know about him. We know, first of all, that he was wealthy. It's mentioned more than once in this passage. He had, he had great possessions. Um, he had riches. So he was a wealthy man. Now, it doesn't tell us here, but in Luke's gospel, it tells us he was a ruler. He, he was a person of authority. He was a respected person. The third thing we want to know about him, and again, it's not mentioned here or in Luke, but in Matthew's gospel, it says he was a young man. So here's the man, a rich man, a person who was young, a person who was successful. He was a ruler. He was a leader. Here's a man who has everything going for him, a world of potential. And he comes to Jesus, and this notice how he comes in verse 17, some important details that Mark gives us. It says in verse 17, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running. So he was alone. He was not, this man wasn't just coming to Jesus because everybody else was or is popular. He, he wasn't just following somebody else. He came on his own to see Jesus. And it says in verse 17, he came running. I mean, to me, this indicates a sense of urgency, a sense of eagerness. He wasn't just meandering around. He was running to Jesus. Then it says, and also in verse 17, that he kneeled to him, which to me indicates he's, he's respectful. He's humble. So here's this young man, a rich man, a wealthy man, coming to Jesus and asking, what must I do that I could inherit the kingdom of God? And he refers to Jesus, we're all just looking at this man together, verse 17, as good master. The word master indicates he was an instructor, like he saw him as an instructor, he saw him as a teacher. And again, he's respectful to Jesus. He wasn't being rude. He wasn't being sarcastic. He was coming humbly and referred to him as good master. One thing that I think is missing, it's important to recognize in this whole dialogue, he never referred to Jesus as Lord. He referred to him as an instructor, as a master, as a teacher. And I think that's significant. And here's his interest. What must I do to go to heaven, to inherit eternal life? Now, just thinking about what this man said, I'm learning from this person, and I hope, especially if you're a young person, you'll think about this. Here's a wealthy, successful young person comes to Jesus, and that one thing I notice is he must be a believer in life after death, right? He knows that there's more to it in this life than just what we See, and I tell you, you can't stress that enough in our, in our day and age. And Jesus made this very clear, you know, and I'm reminded of the, the gospel of Luke where Jesus dealt 
with these two about these two people and gave a, a teaching about these two people who died. And it says one of them was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the other man lifted up his eyes in hell, being in torments. Both of those examples went somewhere immediately after they died. They didn't just stay in their body. Now, you say, well, preacher, everybody believes that. Not necessarily so. I was just out of curiosity uh, this week doing some research about how, how common that is for people to believe in the hereafter, in life after death. Depends on who you're asking, depends on where you're asking. But for instance, a recent poll in France, only 49% of the people in that country believe in life after death. Uh, basically half people, half the people believe that once you die, that's the end of it. A similar poll in, in Canada showed about 60% of the people. Uh, so two thirds of the people believe that if you die, then uh, you go somewhere, but they don't but 40% don't believe that you, they just believe this is all there is, like an animal. When you die, that's the end. A recent poll in the United States revealed this. 72% 72 of the people in this country believe in heaven. Three-fourths, basically. 58% believe in hell. A lot more people believe in heaven than they believe in hell. Probably don't want to believe. Uh, fewer people would want to believe in the reality of hell. But the point is, a lot of people believe that when you die, that's the end. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And that's not what this man believed when he came to Jesus in verse 17. Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now let's focus for a moment on that aspect of his question. What shall I do that I might inherit eternal life. His focus was on what he could do. And by the way, that's what a lot of people's focus is when it comes to whether they're gonna to go to heaven or not, what can I do? Is there something I can do that I can go to heaven? Could I do more so that I go to heaven? And I, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I'm gonna take a little survey. We do that sometimes. Pay close attention. We wanna make sure you vote accurately. How many of you have ever had a conversation with someone about spiritual things when they expressed that they believed more or less that if you do more good things than bad things, then you're probably going to go to heaven? How many of you have ever had that kind of conversation? Look at the hands. At least half the people here, well, well over half, two-thirds. And that, I've had it happen numerous, people believe that. Now this is really important for us to understand because people really do believe this. What can I do that I might go to heaven? And uh, hold your finger here in Mark's gospel if you would and go to the left to Matthew's gospel where Matthew writes about this same exact conversation. And I want to just point out something in Matthew chapter 19. We'll look at a couple of verses, Matthew chapter 19. And just notice as we read two verses, verses 16 and 17, the references to the word good. Matthew 19, 16, and behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? 
There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, one thing that stands out to me, as I said, is just the number of references, not only to good, but where the word good is used. In other words, he says good master. The word good is used to talk about Jesus. And then he says, what good thing could I do? Same word, good. So, to, so here's a man saying, I know that you're good, Jesus. What can I do that's good like you are that I could go to heaven? And Jesus said, there's but none good but one. That's God. So to me, for a person to use the word good as it refers to God and, and use good as it refers to Jesus being the good master and to use the same word good to refer to something he could do is quite revealing. To me, it reveals a lot about this person, about this man. Imagine you or I saying, you know, God is good and I'm, and I'm good like God is good. I don't, there's something pretty twisted about that kind of logic. It tells me that his idea about himself was probably was flawed, but also his idea about God was flawed. And how could a sinful man, think about this, how could a sinful man call his works good in the same way that God is good? And again, this is a part of his mindset. And you, a person could read this record in Mark 10, we're going back to Mark 10, and say, well, I don't understand why Jesus did not give him what he asked for. Because what he asked for was the way that he could know he was going to heaven. Why did, because Jesus knew Jesus knew things about this man. And Jesus knew this man was not right in his view of himself. And he wasn't right in his view of God. And so it's important that we look at this. Now Matthew chapter 10, let's look at the next verse. And we're not going to spend this much time on every verse. But verse 17 has so much to say. Verse 18, Jesus said to him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. So Jesus is pointing, trying to get this man to see that only God is good. Nothing you can do is good. Only God is good. And if a person understood that, they wouldn't think, well, I'm going to do good things so I can go to heaven because you can never be good like God is good. God, we sang about the holiness of God earlier, and God is altogether holy, and he's sinless, and he's perfect. So what, why did Jesus say this in verse 17? Why did Jesus say, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. I think one thing, Jesus wanted this to, man to consider who he's talking to. And he's talking to God incarnate, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if Jesus was good, he called Jesus good, right? He called him good master. If Jesus is good and he is good, it's because he's God. The other thing, though... Is a, and I say, said this earlier, if, if God, only God is good, Jesus said this to this man who respected him, who, would, who surely would believe that what Jesus is saying is true, and Jesus, Jesus said, if only God is good, is there anything in the world that you could do as a human being, as a mortal, as a sinful creature, anything you could do that would not fall dreadfully short of the goodness that God requires? You know, 
for the, for the benefit of all of us here, it, 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 it's worth repeating that none of us, not only none of us, no person ever born of Adam's race could ever do anything good enough to meet God's standard for our lives. That many of us have used the third chapter of the book of Romans in talking to people about their state spiritually, their need for salvation. And one of the verses that we often go to is that verse that clearly says in the Word of God, there is none that doeth good. No, not one. There's never been a man or a woman that could do enough good that somehow they could go to heaven. And this man needed to see this. He needed to understand this. Ecclesiastes says it this way, for there is not a, ju there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. There's not one. People hold up these people in esteem. Even people who worship Mary as though Mary is somehow sinless. I'm not, all of us are sinners. All of us have sinned. There is not one person according to the Bible that's good. No, not one. In verse 19 then, Jesus directs this man to the source that could make it clear that none of us are good, and that's the law. Look what he says in verse, verse 19. Thou knowest the commandments. That's what he said to them. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do, do not bear false witness. In other words, don't lie. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. You know the law. You know what the commandments are. Now, Jesus wasn't saying to this man, you know, if you could keep all these commandments, you know you, you'll be good and you can go to heaven. No, because nobody has perfectly kept all these commandments. I've read the law. I've read these verses. I just read them again standing before you. Every time I read these verses, every time I'm keenly aware of the fact that I've broken God's law. I've, I've not been always honest. There have been, even as a Christian, we have, if we'd be honest, we admit there are times that we deceive and we act hypocritically. There are things, you know, I know as a child I took things that didn't belong to me. I, I know before God I'm guilty as one who did not always honor his father's mother. I'm just telling you we're all guilty. And Jesus gave this man the law to help him. To help him, not to put a guilt trip on him, but to help him see that he's not good. He asked himself to examine himself in the light of God's law. And notice what he said in verse 20. He answered and said unto him. This is what he said to Jesus. Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Every one of these I've perfectly kept all my life. Now, I don't know what's in this man's heart. Jesus does, right? I don't know what this To me, he's either deceived, he's blinded to his own sin. And I've talked to people that were that way. They really felt like they were good. They really felt like they had never really done anything seriously wrong. Maybe he, maybe he was just not being honest. Maybe he was lying. But he claimed to have never disobeyed any of the commandments. When, I'm not going to go back to Matthew 19, but when Matthew 19 records this, 
And Jesus presented to this man the demands of the law. And this man said, all these I've kept from my youth. Then this man said to Jesus, he followed up with this, what lack I yet? In other words, give me another. Throw me another commandment. Basically, and I'll be able to tell you, I've never broken it either. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at this. I'm intrigued by it. How could a person say they were guiltless? That they've never broken one of God's commandments. That they've never told a lie. I know children are not to the age of accountability, but children are born liars. Not your children, of course. <laughs> Other people's children. This, d- lying is a part of our, our DNA. As fallen creatures, all of us have a tendency to be dishonest and to be rebellious and to be stubborn and to be prideful. But notice what it says in verse 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Jesus cared about this man. Jesus did not put him down. He wasn't retaliatory toward him. He didn't put him in his place. He wasn't put off by this man's response. Jesus loved him. May I say to you today, Jesus loves you today too. He loves us right where we are. This man was not a believer. He was not a saved person. He was not a child of God. But Jesus loved him. And Jesus loves us. But then he says in verse 21, after it says that he loved him, this is what he said to him, verse 21. One thing thou lackest. He said to this inquiring man, there's something standing between you and eternal life. And by the way, I'm not giving you some man-made prescription for how to deal with people. I'm giving you the way Jesus dealt with people. Jesus said there's something standing between you and eternal life. One thing thou lackest. And... What did he say to him then in verse 21? Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now, Jesus told him, this rich person, wealthy person, a person of great means, a person of authority, a ruler, a young person. Here's what I want you to do. Go sell everything you've got. Give it to the poor. Take up your cross and follow me. Now don't, it's really important when we read these verses that we think about what they really say and not what we think they might say. Do I believe that Jesus was saying this man, if you want to go to heaven, the only way you're going to go to heaven is to give all your money away. 
I don't think that's what he was. I, and you say, and you, so you, you're going to go out and preach to people and say, okay, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to give all your money away. If you don't want to go to heaven, that's not what Jesus was saying. You know what Jesus was doing? Jesus is helping him see the problem in his heart. And the problem in this man's heart was he was covetous. His money meant more to him than the potential of a relationship with God. And, and you know what? That's what Jesus in His goodness, because He loves us, He helps us see things that otherwise we might not see. And covetous, we would look at covetous, being covetous and say, well, that's not really a big deal. It's not really a serious thing, but it is a serious sin. Matter of fact, when I'll turn to it, but Paul, the apostle, recorded in the Word of God, that's one of the things that got him under conviction was the scripture that says, thou shalt not covet. And so Jesus tells this man, just go sell everything you've got, give the proceeds to the poor, take up your cross and follow me. And how did this man respond? Look in verse 22. Because here's, here's, here's how we see this man as Jesus saw him. He loved him, but he, it says this man was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. He was saddened. He was grieved. He, he didn't, this man didn't walk away from Jesus mocking and scoffing. He didn't do that. He was saddened. You know why? Because he wanted to go to heaven. That's why he came to Jesus. He wanted to go to heaven. But he had these great possessions and those possessions to him meant more than anything else to him. And, and he had to... He had to deal with that. Just like if a person, you know, you know why people really get saved? Because they understand they're lost. They're guilty. And it may be the guilt of, of lying. It may be, you, don't just, you don't just have sin in a general way. We sin specifically. And I needed to be saved because I knew I was convicted that I'd broken God's law. And this man had broken God's law. He was, he was covetous. Someone made this comment about this man. I think it's true. He's the only man who ever came to Jesus and left worse off than he was when he came. So this man leaves. He leaves sad. He didn't get saved. He didn't get right with God. It's sad, isn't it? It's sad to think about. It was sad for this man. And I'm not trying to make more of this than we ought to, but I'm telling you, a lot of people would have had this man praying a prayer long before he ever really got to the source of the man's problems. This man needed God. He, he needed the Lord. He wanted to go to heaven, but he had a problem in his heart that had to be dealt with. As he walks away, verse 22, he walked away, verse 23. If you look there with me, Jesus looked around about and saith unto his disciples. Now notice who he's talking to now. He's not talking to that man. The man is gone. He's talking to his disciples. And this is Jesus' method. When things would happen, he would turn to his disciples and explain to them, this is what just happened. And they're shocked. They're shocked by what happened. Notice in verse 23, he said to his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, it's not easy. It's not common. It's not normal. It's not a given for wealthy people to enter the kingdom of God. But what did, how did they respond? 
Look in verse 24. The disciples were astonished at his words. I mean, if you've been following along, you know that they're right at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. In a matter of weeks, they're going to be in Jerusalem. Jesus is going to be crucified. I mean, they've spent over three years with Jesus by this time, and they're shocked by what he just said. Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, that's a tender way of referring to his disciples, isn't it? Children, how hard is it for them? Please, please notice what he's about to say. That trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. The problem was not that this man possessed wealth. The problem was this man's wealth possessed him. He was trusting in his wealth. He was trusting in his money. And there is a tendency when people have wealth to trust in their wealth and not trust in the Lord. So he clarified for them, the problem is it's hard for them that trust in riches. Now this is, this is worth spending a couple of moments on. You know, because money is a part of the way we live, right? You got to have it. Last time, you know, I went to the grocery store, which was wasn't recently. I don't go often. But you don't just walk in and say, could I have some of that hamburger meat? They want something in exchange for it. They want, you have to have some money, right, to function. It's possible for a person to have wealth and not trust in it. It's also possible for a person to have very little money and still not have the right attitude about it. God wants us to trust in Him. There's something in this man's life, according to Jesus, there's something in this man's life that's keeping him, that's standing in the way of salvation. And by the way, you could be here today and the very same thing is true of you. Things stand in the way of our relationship to God. Even a person who's saved, sometimes things, stuff, attitudes, behavior, they stand in the way between us and spiritual growth and maturity. And, th and so Jesus is just helping this person identify that. Jesus knew what was in his heart. And Jesus knows what's in our heart. And Jesus knew that this man had an issue with covetousness, with his wealth. To me... And I never really looked at it quite like this before, but to me, this man had a faith problem and he had a repentance problem. And both those things are important, necessary, required for salvation, repentance and faith. He had a repentance problem because he wasn't willing to turn from what he wanted in order to turn to God. But he also had a faith problem because he was trusting in his wealth and his own goodness rather than trusting in the Lord for his salvation. And I want to tell you, this is not the last person that ever had this problem. They're still around. They won't really turn from them, their self and sin to Christ. They want to trust in their good works rather than trust in the Lord. Let me hear, please hear me. And this is a benefit for all of us, but also all the people that we know and talk to and pray for you, you, you don't get saved on your terms. You get saved on God's terms. And what Jesus wanted from this man, this may be the most important thing I'll say today. What Jesus wanted was not his money. Jesus wanted his heart. 
Jesus wanted his heart. And that's what he wants from us. He wants our heart. I don't read this and say, well, if this man, you know, this man couldn't get saved because he's wealthy. No, he couldn't get saved because he wouldn't come to God on his terms. And so the disciples, it says in verse, well, let's just read verse 25 that Jesus gives him such a visual uh, example, object lesson. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. What a statement. A lot of people have commented on that and tried to make it have to do with something in their culture or whatever. I think it's what it sounds like. When I read that, I'm thinking about every... I can remember as a child when my mom would ask me to try to thread a needle for her because she had bad eyesight. It'd be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Well, that verse 26, in our vernacular, that blew their mind. They were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, now they're not speaking to Jesus, they're talking to each other. They're talk- can you hear, can you see them? Who then can be saved? If that's true, who can be saved? They're talking to one another, conversing with each other. In verse 27, Jesus looking upon them saith, with men it is not possible. Now that wasn't just pertaining to that man. It's men in general. Salvation's impossible with men. No man can do enough good works. No man can save himself. No man. It's impossible with man. And if you're here today and you're not saved... As far as man is concerned, as far as you're concerned, there's, no, there's nothing within the realm of possibility for you to do in and of yourself to go to heaven. It's impossible. In a religion that says you've got to do this, 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 if you do this, 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 and this, even it's baptism and church membership and giving your money and going to church and reading your Bible, if somebody says if you do this, 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 you're going to go to heaven, they're telling you something's not in the Bible. It's impossible with man. But the last part of the verse is the best part. But not with God. For with God all things are possible. This man could not purchase salvation, no matter how wealthy he was. He could not be good enough to merit it. That's why it says in Ephesians, the lost people, which is what I was before I was saved, and what everybody is before they're saved, Ephesians says they're without hope. Without God and without hope. A person that's lost is hopeless in and of himself. But with God, all things are possible. May I remind you today that God can save anyone. There's never been a sinner so wicked that God cannot save. With man it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. We could say, well, man, that's a hard case. There never has been a hard case for God. God can save anybody. The way has been provided. The price has been paid. God's love and God's mercy and God's grace are committed to any and every person who will come to Jesus Christ with repentance and faith, turning from their self and sin and trusting in the Lord. 
God is not willing that any should perish. Jesus didn't just die for some people. He died for all people. With men, it's impossible. I often read these words of Jesus, not just these, but the words that Jesus said and imagine what it had been like to be a disciple and saying among yourself, who then can be saved? And Jesus says, with men, it's impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. As we wrap this up today, there are a number of things just to ponder. Here's one. Maybe it's for you, maybe it's not. What is it that keep, is keeping you from getting saved? Everybody has their own story, and I'm not going to tell you my story, but part of it is this. When I came as a lost person, hearing the gospel, knowing that I needed something more than I could muster up. I needed, I needed God. I needed salvation. I needed eternal life. I needed hope. I didn't just get saved immediately. There were things going on in my mind and my heart, and I kept thinking, well, what about this part of my life? What about that part of my life? What about my friends? What about the things I do? I didn't have any friends that were Christians. I never went to church. But you know what? God in His grace brought me to the place that nothing else mattered, but I just wanted to be saved. I just wanted Jesus in my life. Don't let anything keep you from coming to Jesus Christ. Your fears, your failures, your friends, your money, don't let anything keep you from coming to Jesus Christ. It's worth thinking about also, our attitude and view of wealth, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not everything. That's why Jesus said, if you could gain the whole world and lose your own soul, what shall it profit you? It's nothing. If you had everything in the world and you didn't have Jesus, you have nothing. But if you have Jesus, though you may not have the things you'd like to have, if you have Jesus, you're on the winning side. God is good and Jesus is wonderful. Amen? And the grace of God is real. It's powerful. If you're here today and you're not saved, what would keep you from getting saved today? The price has been paid. It's up to you to come to Him.